Welcome to episode 13 of Refined by Fire podcast. As always, Refined by Fire is a Brothers in Battle media production and is supported by Elkhart Brass. So I got a little sneak peek at something today that Elkhart is going to be launching at FDIC. Now, if you're a hose and nozzle dork like me, then undoubtedly you've done some flow testing with your equipment. Uh, Brothers in Battle, we've got one of the flow meters from FRC, and it's great. But one thing about it is that it's just kind of awkward, especially to travel with, because they're like in two pieces. they got the tube and the square box that houses the display. Well, Elkhart is about to launch a new product to improve that, uh, largely based on end-user feedback. It's called the EB500XD portable flow meter, and it looks pretty rad. I can't wait to get my hands on one. It's a single-piece unit. Uh, very compact, so it solves that cumbersome two-piece problem. Uh, it's accurate up to 500 gallons per minute, uh, runs on an internal battery, and one of the cool features is the totalizer. allows you to track total gallons flowed uh, within a single session. So now, as I record this right now, it's late on a Thursday night, and Elkhart won't launch their marketing blitz on this thing until Sunday. So you guys are literally some of the first to hear about it. Uh, so make sure you're watching the Elkhart Brass Facebook page next week for the next episode of Brass Tax and Hard Facts, uh, which is going to be Stretch Martin going over this new product, again, the EB500XD portable flow meter. Uh, or better yet, go subscribe to their YouTube page so you can catch all the great stuff from the Brass Tax and the Hard Facts videos as they come out. My guests for this episode are Tom Johnson and John Spera of Fit to Fight Fire. Uh, this episode's a little different because uh, we were recording not only for this podcast, but also for theirs, which is called Fit to Fight Fire, Lead Yourself. So we kind of take turns throwing out some questions and sharing our perspectives, uh, which is undeniably kind of weird for me to listen back through this and hear myself talking so much. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. I had a lot of fun with it. I encourage you to check out the work that Fit to Fight Fire does. You know, it's not rocket science. It's a message of like of inspiring and educating firefighters to do better in terms of our fitness and training. And it's kind of brilliant when you think about it because no firefighter ever has been too fit or too well trained. So it really keeps their message evergreen. Uh, had a lot of fun talking with Tom and John. Really looking forward to hopefully spending some time with them in Portland at the end of next month. So let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Tom Johnson and John Spera of Fit to Fight Fire. All right, guys. Well, let's get it started. Uh, I'm here with John and Tom from Fit to Fight Fire, and I always try to start off in left field a little bit. I know you guys were doing a bunch of burpees last month, but now it's January. So what was your workout this morning? Well, it didn't involve any burpees. Because, uh, yeah, we, I did enough of those in December, but actually I woke up early this morning, kids still not in school and I've got Fridays off no matter what. So whether I'm off shift or it's my shift day, I've got a Kelly day. So those are the days I try to go downtown into Denver and, uh, we got a high rise down there. That's pretty friendly for firefighters. If you want to go down there, getting gear and, and climb, it's about 44 stories. 
And so I went down there and did that. So I try to really do stairs uh, on air, or in this case, some blast mass, which is you know, way worse than air. But this morning it was pretty cool because my son, who's not in school for winter break, he came with me and did the stairs with me. So that was, that was pretty cool, you know, and coming off the burpees last month, he did the 30 days of burpees with me every single day he did it with me. So it, it, it was pretty cool. Uh, got a partner in, in crime, so to speak, that, that is really liking doing what I do uh, as much as he can. Good job, dad. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, not to disappoint, but I, I didn't work out this morning. I decided I was going to take the first week of January basically off. And all I've been doing is stretching and kind of taking it easy, which is kind of opposite of what most people do going into a new year as they get after it. But I'm focusing on reading. I wanted to knock a book out the first week of January. I've been spending a lot of time reading. Uh, I just finished up a book this morning called uh, Goliath must fall and just kind of working through some mental fitness for this first week just getting my mind right for 2019 and uh, I'll get back after it here starting starting Monday morning so no nothing really physical but been really leaning into the mental stuff trying to uh, revisit some things I've read in the past and start reading some new stuff that's pretty good. I've got uh, some friends who are pretty dogmatic about not referring to what we do in the gym as exercise or working out, but referring to it as training. And that's that's definitely what you were doing this morning. You know, that's mental training. That's good stuff. All right, John, I want to talk about Fit to Fight Fire. You have an incredible following you guys do on social media and really have a lot of power that comes along with your voice. Uh, but what was the genesis of Fit to Fight Fire? Like, John, when did you recognize like you have something to say, you have something to offer, and that you wanted to kind of help or provide that to other people? Well, getting into the fire service, I had this belief, this idea that all firefighters had this warrior mindset, this kind of special forces military mindset. And I just assumed that's what the fire service was all about, that we were all about training, fitness, getting better every single day. It was just this whole stoic, no excuses, the obstacles, the way kind of deal that I had in my mind. And when I got in the fire service, I did identify, you know, firemen that were like that, but I also identified firefighters that weren't. And it frustrated me. I had to make a choice of what kind of firefighter I wanted to be. And in my heart, in my mind, I I knew which direction I was going to go. But I needed to keep myself motivated. So I I dug into books and and things that connected with my idea of what I wanted to be. But I also became frustrated with what I was seeing. So initially, it was just these internal conversations I was having with myself to hold myself accountable. Then I began to have the courage to have those conversations with other people within my organization. And then I felt like the fire service in general wasn't doing a very good job of having the difficult conversations, specifically with fitness. Because, you know, we work together for 24 hours in a firehouse and no one wants to hurt anybody's feelings. But at the end of the day, we could talk about SCBA checkouts and rig checkouts and all the things that we do first thing in the morning that are important. But if the the firefighter getting on the rig isn't in good physical condition, none of the things matter. The resources, the training, all that stuff, it's not going to get its maximum potential realized out there on the fire ground. So what I started doing is started 
having conversations, I guess, in a more abrasive way than what was happening in the fire service, a little more of a coming from a place of truth. And really those conversations that I was sharing on social media were the ones I was having with myself. The whole idea of would you want you rescuing you was something that I held myself accountable to. The whole idea is every time you step on the rig, you either increase or decrease your crew's chances of success and also going home to their family was something that I had to tell myself on certain days that I didn't want to do what I knew I was supposed to do. So that's really where it started. And then through that process, you know, initially there was a lot of resistance from certain people. I can't, I wish I would have kept some of the messages that we received from, from the fire service, from some of our brothers and sisters that didn't appreciate it. You're going to get us fired and you're making us look bad. And all these things that we began to receive on the very early stages, but over time, of just sharing it from a place of, hey guys, you know, this is what we said we would do. We said we would show up prepared and part of that is being physically fit. And we have complete control over our fitness. We have complete control over our fitness. We don't know what kind of calls we're gonna go on. We don't know how many calls we're gonna respond to. We don't know what type of calls are gonna be. We don't know what our resources are gonna be, but we do have control over our fitness. So let's control the things we can control so we're prepared for all the things that we can't. And I think at the end of the day, the truth will win out in life in general. The truth will win, whether we like it or not. Sometimes I don't like the truth, certain truths about myself. But at the end of the day, the truth will win. And that's really where it came from was a frustration, an internal drive to be a good fireman myself, having real conversations with myself that I felt would benefit the fire service. So then, Tom, how did you end up getting involved, jumping on board with John? Well, back in about 2015, I believe, actually back in 2014, I went out to our training academy and John had already been out there for a year or so. And, you know, kind of what John said before is you figure out really early on, you know, we're, we're as firefighters, we're good at sizing up things. All right. So we're sizing up the people we work with all the time. And so you're good at finding out who likes to work and who doesn't like to work. And I was a firefighter that I like to work. Being in shape was very important to me. You know, that was what I really believed was one of my reasons going out to training was to instill this belief that the number one thing that a prepared firefighter can do that's completely in his or her control is the level of fitness they show up to a scene with. And John and I both shared that. So we already had a a commonality that we could share and talk about and and really feed off each other. And once we started running academies, you know, we, we really started to understand that we both viewed pushing the envelope the same way. We both viewed the value of failing the same way, getting better every day. Really just the, the mindsets were right in line with each other. So one thing led to another and we started talking about possibly taking the message on the road. And, and so while John was doing stuff, you know, building the social media following on Facebook, I started putting in for classes to go teach it at, at uh, national conferences. And one thing led to another and we, we started teaching at Firehouse. And now what you've got today is the podcast and the social media following, uh, you know, the ability to, to, to take the message on the road and take that honest message to people and really just show them, you know, hey, this can be done. This is how you can lead your life and lead your career. So it started in 2015. And then, you know, the podcast was kind of my thing of something that I thought would be a great vehicle to get the message out. And I started that, I don't know, two years ago. 
and that's been very rewarding just for the the guests that we've been able to have on you know we try to make we try to make it something that it's not about us you know it's about the guests like they they know us by just what the message we're bringing through little things they see over the years they know that you know what we're preaching is actually what we're doing you know our our actions are our words but the podcast is about the guests and letting the rest of the fire service that wants to tune in and wants to invest in the fire service letting them hear the message from some people that have that have so much experience and that have so much to offer and so much advice over the years that they can listen to them it really is a community where guys like the three of us who are invested have other guys around that are invested in it and you're not alone it's okay to be invested in the fire service it's okay to be that fire nerd and really learn about the craft become a fireman so that's been the i guess reward for us by doing the podcast by having fit to fight fire but you know and then here we are at today now we're forming great relationships with with guys like you and brothers in battle so it's it's been a very rewarding process all around well, it's great. I'm glad you guys are doing it. I've been watching from the very beginning and like a, a kind of a funny story, I guess. I had I had three episodes of this podcast recorded for about six months and I was trying to figure out how to edit them. And, and really, I didn't know if they were ever going to see the light of day. I was kind of frustrated with just where I was at. And then you guys launched your podcast and that kind of gave me the spark that I needed to say, you know what? No, like I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to bring these people's voices out there to a larger audience. So, uh, thanks. Thanks for that spark. Well, yeah. I I mean, that's just something that we all realize, you know, brothers in battle is when I got I got invited to Portland a few years back by Michael Snodgrass when he did Fire X Talk, and I met Justin McWilliams for the first time and saw the impact you guys were having on that. And just by going out, teaching, and just putting yourselves out there and just saying, hey, this is what we have to offer. And so the feeling is mutual because I I and John, we've, we've both pulled on different people that have put themselves out there and seen that. And it's, it's, it's a risk, but it's worth the risk. You know, the, the reward on the other side is, is far greater. So you're welcome, but thank you for what you did for us too. It seems weird, but you're welcome. <laughs> All right. Well, here's our turn. I, I got a question for you. How about your path to the fire service? We know through talking to you back in December that you've got a pretty impactful story. Maybe that didn't get you into the fire service initially, but introduced you to the fire service. And I, I, I think that the audience just has to hear your story um, from when you were a young boy and you had a fire at your house. Would you mind telling that? I don't mind at all. Yeah. My path to the fire service was twisted. And like I I told you guys before, you know, I was originally, I think when I was younger, I was antagonistic to the idea of being a firefighter. And that was, that was because when I was 14, I was, I was burned in a house fire. And I, I guess I thought that was just kind of a lame response. You know, it seemed like kind of a weird cliche, so it was never anything that I was interested in. Um, through a process of kind of floundering in my early 20s and you know maybe thinking about being a paramedic and getting to meet some firefighters, I, I kind of ended up on this path. But really, I guess this, the story of what happened when I was a kid, I was, I was 14 years old and I was visiting my dad for Christmas. So I was in Northern California with uh, my siblings and uh, we had a house fire on New Year's Day, 1997, so 22 years ago. And 
it was a pretty formative experience. I ended up being burned, uh, third degree burns on about half of my body. I've got uh, donor sites, you know, I've got skin grafts, uh, arms, chest, and back. And uh, we lost my three year old uh, half brother, my dad, and my stepmom's son, Tommy on that day. And, you know, so like I said, that that's not what drove me to be a firefighter, but I have had to look back on it often since then and use that as kind of the reality, like the measuring stick that this can happen at any time and the stakes are incredibly high and it helps me to stay accountable to myself to know that, that that's what I could be called to do. I could be called to save, uh, you know, a three-year-old little boy who's not in his bedroom, who's somewhere else in the house at any, at any moment of any day. Knowing what you know now and then pulling on that experience when you were 14, what's your expectation for a crew that shows up if they have to at your house? Yeah, the expectation is excellence. I had this conversation yesterday with a guy on my job, it never occurs to the person standing in their driveway with their house on fire, with somebody trapped inside, it never occurs to them that we're going to be anything but excellent, right? Like, like they're there waiting for us to arrive because we are professional problem solvers and this is what we do. They don't, they don't sit in the driveway and like hope, well, I hope this is a really good crew. Uh, I hope these guys are in shape. I hope these these firefighters have remained engaged and, and have remained students of the game throughout their entire career. None of that occurs to them. Excellence is like this implicit expectation on their part. And unfortunately, for all of us, we're not always up to the task. You know, that's on us. We got to make sure that we are. Yeah, I think we're actually given a label of hero status, like you said, professional problem solver, be all end all, you call us, we're going to fix it. But we haven't, we haven't really done anything on the front end. You know, this, this generation, whoever's new in the fire service hasn't done anything on the front end to earn that. We've been labeled that from previous generations and, and stories within the media and, and all those war stories over the years from middle last century. But what are we doing now? You know, I, I think a lot of times we're resting on the laurels of our past and we need to realize that, you know, it's kind of like we talk about, uh, fitness, you, you rent it every day. You don't own it. You've got to pay rent every day for it. Well, same thing for training and same thing for your performance on the fire ground. It's nothing that just, Hey, I, I've got this badge. I've graduated from the Academy and, and now I'm the hero. No, I mean, I don't, I don't think you ever really get there you have to do it every day and prove yourself every day so that you can be that be all end all when you show up on scene. I work in the training division right now in my department and it's overwhelming. It's incredible how much there is to know. And, and I've always been overwhelmed by that, but even more so now that I have to be a part of delivering that, now that I have to be a part of systematizing it and ensuring that everyone is on top of their game from a patient assessment with difficulty breathing to hazmat to fire to rescue to vehicle extrication. It's unbelievable what we're actually called upon to know and, and what we're expected to be able to do at any minute. Like there's just no time for it, dude. There's just no time for complacency. The stakes are just too high. 
what you're talking about is responsibility. It's a great responsibility that we have when we say we want to be firemen and we take the oath because I don't think any of us really knew how much we were going to be responsible for. I know I didn't. I mean, I go back to my first day at the fire academy. We had to put ourselves through a fire academy before we could put our applications for fire departments. And I had people asking me if I was an EMT or a paramedic. And I didn't know what the heck they were talking about. No idea that that was part of the job, man. That's how far off I was. So you look at those two and then hazmat, uh, special operations, you name it, they're calling us. That's a big responsibility. And I don't think we could ever be the SME in all of those. It's impossible. The brain doesn't work that way. So that's what's cool about when we could surround ourselves with guys who are passionate about search, guys that are passionate about EMS within our own departments and kind of pull from them because they've invested so much time in that. But when you get in that instructor role, it's like, hey, man, you're, you're responsible for delivering all this information. And it's just that, that next level. I totally get, get what you're saying. Let me ask you this. What are you most looking forward to with being an instructor and uh, being assigned to the training division? What do you see being the greatest value that you could bring? And uh, what does that look like for you? So I've been in the job a year out of an 18-month detail. So it was an 18-month detail position. I, I report directly to the training chief of my department. I'm the only training officer. So it, it's been a really interesting year. I've, I've grown a great deal. My perspectives have grown a great deal. My knowledge has grown a great deal. And I've had to, I've, yeah, I've had to learn to be flexible. Uh, I like to dig into a thing deeply and there's no, there's no time for that because we have to deliver training on 50 different topics over a year at all different skill levels across all kinds of different arenas. So that's been very good for me uh, to have to work out of my comfort zone and do that. Now, what I'm looking forward to the most is that in the spring, beginning in March, I get to be part of a cadre for a recruit academy, a regional recruit academy with recruits from different fire departments around our area. And uh, I had great instructors when I came up. And I feel so blessed. And, and I know I took it for granted at that time. I thought all recruit academy instructors were amazing. Uh, I've since learned that's not the case. But I had amazing instructors to set me off on my career, to, to like set a spark to some fuel. So I'm hoping to be that person for this next group. Uh, you know, they're, they're like clay in the hands of the potter. And I hope that between all of us in that cadre, that, that we're, we're capable potters and we can shape them into firefighters who are lifelong learners, who are not satisfied, who understand kind of the depth of uh, what they're called to do uh, in terms of being there to protect uh, their citizens. That's awesome, man. And I, I agree with that. That is the most rewarding part I experienced. I had helped instruct over, I think we were close to 10 academies. And one of the things I saw the, the instructors that really made an impact was, yeah, they were knowledgeable and they were able to deliver a message. But the thing that really resonated with the recruits was who the instructors were as people. That was the biggest thing that I took away was over the years, it was who they were, you know, how they went about their day. What was their daily method of operation? Not just because they were told they had to do something, but because they wanted to do something as an instructor. They wanted to get down in the tripod position and show a brand new recruit who's never saw this before how to do a search in their gear. That was the big lesson. So you're, man, you're right in line with that. You're going to, 
you're going to make an impact. And that's, that's why we're here on this earth. That's pretty, pretty powerful. You know, I owe it to a lot of people who've poured into me and have just developed that example, who've been that guy, like you're talking about, willing to show, willing to be in the bunker gear. I've been very blessed to have leaders almost exclusively, almost exclusively, who are that person who who will not stand around in station clothes while the rest of the crew drills. Most of the leaders that I have worked for have been that person where if their crew is sweating, they are sweating. If their crew is cleaning, they are cleaning. So I certainly can't take any credit for kind of how my mindset has developed in that way. I'm just the product of really good leaders. I think we all look to leaders. I mean, when we're coming into the fire service, even before we have experiences through our adolescence, I had this conversation with somebody yesterday uh, when I was on shift about, you know, you really are looking at everybody who attempts to lead you along the way and learning from each one of them, good and bad. That's where I've really formed my leadership style is seen what's worked, what's, what hasn't worked for me personally, watched styles of other leaders and how it's affected and worked or not worked with say teammates of mine or other crew members. And then sometimes you just got to test stuff out on your own. And like John was saying, reading's important. Learning, learning as much as you can about leadership is huge. Absolutely. I've been lucky to learn from good ones, uh, both in person and being able to develop by watching people who I don't directly work with. Uh, you know, social media has some positives, some negatives, but one of the things that has been really useful for me is to be able to like look at other people throughout the country and see what they're doing and really have mentors and senior men and women who I've only met briefly or I've never even met. Okay, guys, as I mentioned, you have, I think it's 17 million followers on Instagram. Is that right? <laughs> 18 million? Well, <laughs> you've got it. You've got a big following, right? <laughs> yeah, it's not that much, but uh, hey, you know, it's a healthy, it's a healthy number of people that we hope are furthering the cause. Yeah, it's excellent. Well, you've got a good <laughs> opportunity with, with that platform to further your message. Now, there's a couple things uh, that you guys have have really been pretty resolute about that I'm interested in, maybe some controversial stances. And I like that you've been able to build your platform while remaining true to some of your beliefs. So I want to ask about a couple of them. The first is running on the fire ground. Why is this an important issue for you guys so much so that you've, you've really just been able to like double down on this and, and draw a line in the sand and say, this is something that we believe in? Well, there's a lot of things that go into why we believe in running on the fire ground. One of the things which I'll start off is let's just take what the facts are and how fires burn right now. They're not burning hotter, right? But they're burning much faster. So our, our time to flash over is now could be under three minutes, whereas in past per experiments, you know, in the research was closer to 27 to 30 minutes. So you're talking close to 10 times slower a fire got to flashover point. You think three minutes to flashover, well, when are we getting on scene? We're getting on scene when it's about to flash. So we don't have any time. We don't have time to walk. The second part is we know this, but we don't really want to admit that we have to move fast. And the reason I say we know that we need to move fast is because when the tone goes off and there's a fire, we race to the rig, we get in our gear as fast as we can, we go lights and sirens to the scene, and then we get there and all of a sudden 
that's it. We slow everything down. Well, I mean, if time is not important, then we don't need to take all the steps on the front end to get there as fast as possible and then get there and slow down. Now, when we post running on the fire ground, I mean, John and I, when they, he'll, he'll put something up and then I'll immediately see it and I'll text him and I'll, I'll go, here we go. Cause we know what's going to happen. We know it's going to be a firestorm on, on the comments on the forum. And part of it is to get people talking, but we know how people are going to react. There's the side of when you run, injuries happen, and you miss things. Sure. And our argument is, well, if you train that way, then you can run. In my experience, and I think John would agree with me, the only ones that are saying don't run on the fire ground are the ones that aren't training to run on the fire ground. Every time I train, I'm training to run. I'm training to make decisions with an elevated heart rate, to to be able to notice things on size ups. And we're not advocating getting off the rig and just running sprint laps around the scene over and over and over again, just as fast as you can. We're saying when there's opportunities to make up time, then run and make it up. When you need to get a water supply and you need to come off the back of an engine and, and pull two or 300 feet of, of LDH back to a hydrant, you should be running. When you know your objective to throw ladders is on the Charlie side, you should be creating a ladder package and you should be moving as fast as possible. If you just have a 24, you should be able to run with that to the objective and put it up. And then at that point, maybe it's take a step back, slow it back down, see what you've got. Is there smoke coming out of there? Do you need to VES that? Are we going to go to the roof? Do I need to force a door on the Charlie side? What's my next task? Then once it's okay, I need to force a door and get inside and search. Then it's a run to that door. Okay. Then it's, you get the door open, slow back down. Let's look at the above conditions, the below conditions, the ceiling. Let's look at the smoke level. Let's see what is it tunneling. Let's see if we can locate fire. All right. Now I've identified from the outside when I slowed it down and my size up where the bedrooms are. Now let's get to those bedrooms as quickly as possible. Get to find that fire as quickly as possible. It's a constant, you know, sprint, jog, sprint, jog, sprint, jog. And that's what we're advocating. And I think a lot of people see it like, you know, running on the fire ground is bad. You get injured. Well, you know, we have a a video that we present in our lecture when we go around and talk. It's a a department that's running on the fire ground and and one guy's running around the, the side of the house and he falls on his face. And that would support the argument that everybody gets hurt. But when you look at the video, what you see is an unprepared firefighter. You see no SCBA on. You see the shoulder straps of your bunker pants down by the knees with the jacket over the top. Some people aren't wearing helmets. Guys are overweight. Nobody's on air. There's no hose lines in place. What you have is people running on the fire ground because their world just became so chaotic and they don't know how to handle it. And so they want to try to move as quickly as possible, but it comes back to just training the way you play. So practice the way you play. And if we're running in training and we're learning to make up time in training, then we can do that on the fire ground. We are taught and you'll, you might be able to confirm this, but when you're in the fire Academy, the big thing is we never run on the fire ground. We never run on the fire ground. You don't run on the fire ground walk. I believe that's because we're learning a new skill. It's that brand new skill. And for us to learn a skill, we have to take the time to learn the skill. So it's that whole crawl, walk, run concept. Plus, guess what? The instructors don't want to do the paperwork for somebody who just got hurt, right? Reality. So we get this put into our brain, put into our our bones that we never run on the fire ground, and then we carry that through 
our careers unless we're exposed to something different. Unless we get out of our little bubble of our fire department, go to a conference, read an article, see a fireman moving at a pace that just increased the chances of survival for those people inside. And then we start to go, wow, that, that makes sense. That makes sense that we're going to move faster than what we moved in the fire academy because now we're on the job five years, 10 years, 15 years. And I would really encourage anybody who's listening to this today to believe you could do so much more in gear than we're doing. Like our gear is, could be overwhelming, but if we're consistently in our gear moving at a pace that matches the physical demands of the fire ground, consistently doing that with a skill that we're very good at already, now what we're trying to do is decrease the amount of time that we could do it in because the people inside, they're uncomfortable. So it's time for us to get uncomfortable in our training to minimize how long they're uncomfortable on the inside. And I would really encourage the fire service to look at yourself beyond what somebody told you you were, because we could be doing so much more than we're doing physically. Of course, it starts with fitness, but the skill has to be there. And once the skill is there, man, we should be really trying to get faster than what we're, we're doing a lot of the things we're doing in. You know, and really running, it's what separates the amateur from the professional. And we use running, but I mean, are we on a full out sprint? I mean, there's, you try to go as fast as possible, moving as fast as possible while still performing the skill in a complete and efficient manner is what we're talking about. And that's to me, next level firefighting. That's what is the difference between the amateur and the professional firefighter that we say we are. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense to me. It backs up what I know about skill development in that, uh, you know, like Tom was talking about the time, the time sensitive nature of things. We, we start out, we get turned out as fast as we can. We run lights and sirens, uh, because we know that time is an issue. There's a reason why a recruit has a time standard for a skill, but we don't start them out with that time standard, start them out, just teaching them the skill time standards are introduced at some point because we know that time is important. And as that skill continues to develop, right, if we can reduce that time and if that looks like running uh, and you have the requisite skill to run, then of course we should. I can't tie a Prusik knot while I run because I'm not super good at knots. But I know a couple guys who could because they have the requisite skill for that. Now, we all should have the requisite skill to like carry a ladder at pace, we all should have the requisite skill to pull a pre-connect at pace. You know, time's our enemy. So I like it, guys. I like what you're doing. Well, and one thing you get when you train like this, exactly what you said, you get your pace. Because it really comes down to what is the fastest pace you can move at that makes you the most efficient. Because, yeah, there's times in training where I pulled a pre-connect and moving too fast has created more issues than I would have wanted. You learn that, okay, when stuff starts to go that route, when it starts to go south, all right, I got to back it up a little bit, get back to a little bit, little bit slower pace, clean it up, and then let's continue to move forward. It helps you recognize where your pace is at when you train that way as well. Yeah, that's deep practice. Deep practice is practicing on the edges of your ability. Right. And move and Chris Brennan talked about this on my last podcast. He called it something slightly different, but moving just up to the point of failure, back off just to or beyond the point of failure, back off. It's exactly what you're talking about. 
Well, and when you talk about walking on the fire ground, what that comes down to is a comfort zone. It's a way to control the environment so it, it, it doesn't control you. But by doing that, it's not helping anybody inside. And so you have to get out of your comfort zone and training so that you can operate outside of your comfort zone. I mean, that becomes your new comfort zone when you're on the fire ground, essentially. And like you said, take it up to that point, that failure, because in that zone between comfort and failure, that's the learning zone. That's where you get better. Okay, so another stance that uh, is is very clear if following your social media is that uh, John is pretty vocal about his personal Christian faith. So, John, why has that been important for you to ensure that that, that message is being conveyed through Fit to Fight Fire? Well, at the end of the day, my belief is the only reason I have thoughts that even make sense, the only reason I could put a sentence together or articulate a concept that might resonate with somebody else is because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, because of God. I mean, that's my belief. And I had a thought years ago. It was, don't be afraid to share your faith. Be afraid not to. That's eternity type stuff. We're talking about eternity. Now, if I believe Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, which I do, but I don't share the power he's had in my life, then I feel like I'm denying him. And for me, this Fit to Fight Fire platform, this influence that he gave me, these thoughts that he gave me, this physical ability that he gave me, I want to share that with the fire service and whoever will listen. Now, if you don't believe that, I'm not taking that personal and it doesn't change my view of you. If I love you before that, I love you after knowing that you're not a believer. I still love you. But for me and in my life, it's the foundation. It's been the foundation of my life. So if you look at the three stars in our logo, it stands for faith, family, fire in that order. So from the left to the right. So I believe for me personally, and this may resonate with others, that for me to serve at the highest level, and I've had calls, man, I've had calls where I've been challenged beyond what I believed was my ability and have had some success. And I believe for me to be able to do that, I have to have those priorities in order, starting with my faith, then my family, then fire. And it's just something that I feel like he's given me the ability to share a message with people, and I'm going to do it. And do we get some, you know, messages that, hey, why has it got to be all about this? You know, I thought this was a fitness site. I'll share with that person through a message. And if they're willing to get on the phone with me, talk to them and say, hey, look, this is why I have the ability to share what I share. It's because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not going to deny that. I'm not adversarial with people at all. And the coolest part about this is I've had people reach out to me and say, hey, I wasn't a Christian didn't believe in God, read a couple of your Bible verses, started digging a little bit deeper, and now I'm a believer. Thank you. And man, (laughs) if you would have told me Fit to Fight Fire would have done that, I would have thought you were crazy. And Fit to Fight Fire didn't do that. Jesus did that. So man, that's really what it comes down to. It's not anything other than being honest and truthful about where I get my power and, and, and my ability from. As a Christian, personally, like from that perspective, obviously I appreciate it and enjoy it. But what I what I appreciate the most as someone who's also, you know, trying to create content and deliver things to a platform is just that honesty, your transparency to be who you are. It's so easy to craft a fake persona, 
on social media or to do what's easy. So like kudos to you for just being transparent and being who you are. I won't even say unapologetically, but without, without any false pretense. Obviously fit to fight fires, huge focus is fitness and all around fitness. But what has your fitness journey been throughout your career? Throughout my career and really kind of throughout my life. I mean, fitness, I played sports as a kid. I had some fitness, but really was never playing at any kind of a high level. I was a mediocre athlete. I was a mediocre, I had mediocre work ethic. So I was never really able to accomplish much in athletics. In my 20s, I had an active job and I was running with my wife. My wife liked running. So I ran like some half marathons and stuff, but there was never any purpose towards it. When I got into the fire service, I heard it somewhere and I, I don't know if it was from you guys, but I definitely, somebody said something to me about, would you want to be the firefighter that goes in after your kid? And I was like, no, I am not that firefighter. I don't have that level of fitness and I don't have that level of skill. And it really slapped me in the face and let me know that I had work to do. So I immediately joined a CrossFit gym. Uh, which was run by a friend of a friend and began getting in shape. This was like back in 2011. Uh, and that's really kind of been my mode of fitness has been, has been through CrossFit ever since. Uh, sometimes I've, I've done less of that and more, more aerobic conditioning. Sometimes I've done less of that and more strength training. I did the, the starting strength program. I've, I've done Brian Yonkin's hook and ladder barbell program. But the thing about CrossFit is I really do think it provides like this, um, this wide range of fitness for people. What's really important, no matter what someone does in fitness, in my opinion, and, and I'm not a doctor and I'm not an exercise physiologist, but I've spent a lot of time on this is you got to keep the goal, the goal. A lot of folks, you know, they join gold's gym or whatever, and they start getting strong and they start, you know, putting on some muscle and getting fit. And before you know it, that, that goal becomes aesthetics or they join a CrossFit gym. And before you know it, they're worried about how many muscle ups they can do and what their snatch PR is and, and getting involved in competitions and competition is not bad, but you just, we, we have to remember what the goal is. And I can tell you for me, like my personal goal is to be healthy, to live a long life so that I have a good quality of life and to be as capable as possible on the fire ground. So how much I can snatch doesn't, doesn't really play into that very much. How big my biceps are doesn't play into that very much. So we got to train in a way that keeps the goal the goal. I think that's what's most important. And what's really cool about the CrossFit protocol, you know, there's time. There's a time element to it. And if you yep. scale the weights to your ability, which a lot of people struggle with, and that's where it gets its bad reputation, which I, I believe in CrossFit. I love the functional movement at a high intensity with a time component to it. I think that's the fire ground really. Um, the nice thing about it is it, there's some time there. So we could always measure ourselves based on our ability to move a load, whether it's over a distance or in a period of time. And we could really look at how does that transfer over to the fire ground? Because at the end of the day, I think fire ground fitness could be best defined by what, how much work can you do in a given period of time? You know, that's your work capacity. And that includes being in gear, being on air, being outside, not on air, whatever it may be. But the fittest firefighter on the fire ground is 
the guy who's doing the most work. And he may be, you know, not have the appearance of that, of that idea of a fit firefighter, but we're not about appearance. We're about performance. Right. And like you said, if you, if you train for appearance, it doesn't guarantee performance, but if you train for a performance, typically appearance is going to follow at least in a reasonable body composition and, and things of that nature. So man, you're right on target with that. I believe the same, the same about fitness. It's got to be about, about the goal and and the other thing too is like, how nice would it be if you served your community for 20 years at a high level and then you were able to retire for 21, right? How cool is that now? Absolutely. Now we win, man. That's a win. That's a big win. Not many, not many firemen could do that. And it's not because they didn't do the right things all the time. Sometimes there's other issues and things happen, but your answer was, was spot on. Uh, so when it comes to fitness or training, You know, a lot of times I feel like I see a prevalent attitude or mindset coming from folks who, who aren't fit or maybe they used to be and they're not now they had some kind of injury setback or they've just never been involved in training. And, and maybe they look at guys like you, uh, Tom and John, and and they just can't imagine themselves in that place. They can't imagine themselves being that fit. And I, I think there are some excuses that sometimes come along with that, like, Hey, you know, Tom, he's like seven feet tall. So ladders are easy for him. Of course he's good at throwing ladders or, you know, like I've got a bad back, so I can't do deadlifts. I can't do burpees. So I guess I was hoping that maybe you guys can like cut through some of these myths and uh, demonstrate that you're not superhuman and like maybe share some of the struggles you've gone through. Well, I think anytime somebody looks at another person and they say, well, they're just tall, they're gifted, they're talented. I believe that's an excuse for that person to make so that they don't, they don't have to look at what it would really take to become the person they see. I think when we could just say, hey, they're talented, they're tall, they're gifted, then it allows us to sit back and do nothing. But the reality of it is, is today I'm 43 years old. I started physically training 16 years old, 17 years old consistently. And I've always looked at myself as a living experiment of trying different protocols, of trying different things, what works, what doesn't work. I've had successes, I've had failures. It's been a lifelong journey of getting to where I'm at today at 43 years old. It takes time. There's no talent here. That's the coolest thing about the fire service is it's not about talent, it's about work, whether it's skills, fitness, knowledge. And anytime somebody looks at another person and just says, ah, they're gifted, they're talented, they're just not willing to do the work. And I'm just being honest. So I hope that anyone who's listening to this in a position where they feel like they're deconditioned, they're out of shape, they've gotten so far down to where they can't, you know, 100 pounds overweight, whatever it may be, injuries are are adding up, just start. Just start. Make today your day you start. So you could look back five years from now and somebody will be looking at you saying, well, they're just gifted. They're just talented. They're just naturally strong. Just start. Start moving. I shared something today in the firehouse. If I was weak on forcible entry, when I was weak on ladders, I looked around the firehouse and I looked for somebody who was strong on ladders. And I said, hey, bro, I need your help out back. And I started throwing ladders with that person because they were good. Look around the firehouse, find that firefighter who's in good shape. Ask them what they do. Ask them to help you. They will. We talk about the brotherhood, this brotherhood thing. The brotherhood this, the brotherhood that, and I believe in the brotherhood. Nothing says the brotherhood more than us showing up prepared for each other. 
So if we truly care about our brothers and sisters, if, if somebody came up to us and asked us for help, we're going to give them help. So anybody out there that's listening to this who feels like, well, you know, I see Brian Olson lifting rocks over his head every day, right? We all see Brian. You know what I see when I see Brian? I don't see a guy who is gifted. I don't see a guy who is talented. I see a guy who's lifting rocks over his head every freaking day. That's what he's doing. And that's why he's getting good. It's not because God gave him this rock lifting ability. It's because he made a decision that he was going to get good at lifting rocks. And it's something he's interested in, right? If somebody sees me doing burpees in a, at a speed or in a time that they think is ridiculous, I like to do burpees. I do burpees often. I've gotten good at doing burpees. Plus, I'm a lot closer to the ground than most people are. So, <laughs> yeah. So that's anytime I feel like Tom's going to kick my butt in a workout, I just throw burpees in there. It's like the neutralizer, and I typically can pull ahead a little bit. But that's really what it comes down to, man. It's, it's work. And I'd encourage anybody who feels like they're so far back to just start moving. Look for help. Other people out there will help you. I'll help you. Tom will help you. I know you'll help them. That's what the fire service is all about. That's my take on it society has taught us to really find the excuse to doing work. So it's it's something that we're seeing on a daily basis. So it's an excuse, but like John said, nobody was ever born to be a fireman. A lot of what John said, I would just repeat and, and echo, so I'm not going to do that. But one thing that popped into my head that's important is when he mentioned Brian Olson lifting rocks over his head or he talks about doing a workout or like I used to years ago, look at somebody that was really successful in whatever field, mainly athletics, because that's what I was involved in. And there was some, man, I wish I could be there. You know, I wish I had what they had, or I want to be in that situation, or you want that glory, you know? And now I look at people that are successful in whatever they do. And the first thing I think is, I know what work goes into that because I know it's all about work. And so you, you start to appreciate the things like what Brian's doing. We'll, we'll stick on him. And he's he, he doesn't know, but he's getting a huge plug in this podcast. So he's going to become famous if he already isn't. But uh, it's like, man, that's that's cool. Good for him. Good for him for putting in the work. Because to get good at anything in life, you've got to put in the work. And you've got to put in a lot of work. You know, it's almost like that 10,000-hour rule. So when I see a fireman that is better than I am at skills or at size-ups or just a general all-around better – that's who I want to surround myself with because I look at them and I go, one, they've got the uh, mentality to go, I'm going to push it every day because I know they're putting in work every day. You can't get good at anything without putting in work every day. But I know just how much discipline it takes and I appreciate that. And so that's what I'm looking for. And that's what I see when, when people say, oh, it's easy for you. It's easy. Well, that's just a person that hasn't put in the work and doesn't know how to get to successful places in life. I've been super blessed to been able to spend time with incredibly skilled firefighters and, and some very experienced firefighters. And maybe, maybe I didn't realize what, how much I, I did learn or come to understand that you're exactly right. Cody Trestrail was not built to be a fireman. Uh, Brian Olson was not built made by God to be a fireman physically. These are people who have, who have done it through work through intentional repetition time and time and time again. That's the way it's done. I got a question for you. Yep. So Tom and I know how difficult it could be to become that fireman that we have in our mind, that view of the person we want showing up to somebody else's home. 
and the type of work it takes to be that person. Um, How do you balance that? Because you're a husband, you're a father, but you're also driven to become the best version of yourself. We know that about you. How do you balance everything out? Because I could probably use some advice. (laughs) I don't know if I'm the guy to give you advice, John. (laughs) Okay. For me, and I don't think I've been able to synthesize this enough to really give good advice, but for me, it comes down to a constant refocusing. I like to write a lot. I carry a moleskin notebook basically everywhere I go, and I like to wake up in the morning and begin uh, with some prayer time and then uh, to kind of write out what I expect my day to be like, and there's a lot of reflection that goes into that. So first and foremost is make sure you take time to actually like reflect on your performance as a husband, as a dad, and professionally and whatever personal goals you have. Really important to take the time to like constantly evaluate where you're at to make sure that you are on the path that you want to be on because it's really, really easy to get distracted. My personal goal for this year is to reduce the number of inputs and increase the quality of inputs. It's really easy to make a goal like, I'm gonna read 100 books. Uh, It's really easy for me to put in some headphones when I'm doing some work and listen to like four or five podcasts. At some point, you can't do anything with all that information. So I'm trying personally to reduce the number of inputs so that I don't end up a mile wide and an inch deep. I wanna be focused in those places that are important to me and ensure that I'm successful. You know, when it comes to to being a dad, when it comes to working at the fire department, I think the job of a leader is to bring peace into chaos. So that's really what I'm trying to do. That's what I'm trying to do when I lead myself. That's what I'm trying to do as a leader for my kids. That's what I'm trying to do at the firehouse is step back, evaluate where the chaos is, and try to find a way to bring peace into that. And, and to me, that's what leadership is, regardless of the domain, regardless of where you are. That's what it means to be a leader. You touched on family and for your kids. This job, if you're a leader, you have to be a leader on and off duty. It's the full package. Like we like to say, you can't be a dumpster fire on your off days and then come in and try to lead some guys and think it's going to be all right. They look at you for the whole package. So you obviously have said family is important to you in leading them, but really what is the impact of leading at home? John has talked about this. I don't want good kids. I want good adults, right? I've heard John say that. Look, the impact is a father or a leader should be someone not who comes in and says, do this, but someone who says, follow me. So I want my kids to see that I'm living a story worth entering into, right? Like I want to have something that I can invite them into that they actually see as worthwhile. And that doesn't have to be firefighting. It just means the way that I live my life, right? If other people look at the way that I live my life and they see value in that, then I can invite them into that story and maybe some ways to be better at what they're doing. So as a dad, that's definitely what I'm trying to do. My wife and I are just trying to live a life that is worth our kids replicating, that is worth them then taking. And, and of course, what every parent wants, we want them to grow past us. We want them to be better people, more successful, more 
kind and generous and everything that, that we are still struggling to do. We want them to surpass us. But I think we the best way to do that is by providing some kind of model that they want to step into. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Just, you know, you hear it at leadership classes and, and in the books is you can say all you want, but it's your actions that everybody's paying attention to. And it's glaring and evident in the home. You can say all you want, what your kids, what you want them to do, what you want them to not do, but they're going to do what you do and what you don't do. So it's all about modeling. So I'm right there with you on that. You know, I, there's so many things I want to accomplish in the fire service. I, I, I can't even say them because they're so audacious, but ultimately none of it's going to matter if my kids think I'm an asshole and, and don't want anything to do with me, you know? So, so that has always got to be, uh, my primary focus and responsibilities. I brought these lives onto the earth, so uh, I better do the best that I can with them. Yeah. You're definitely accountable when you bring somebody, like you said, bring somebody on this earth. You kind of swore an oath, so to speak on that end to, to raise them right and give them the tools to survive. Agree with that. You touched a little bit earlier on the information you consume, whether it's books or podcasts. What are you reading these days? Like if you could recommend a book to us or the listeners, what would you recommend that, that we spend our time reading this next year? Right. So I'm breaking down my year. Again, I'm not going to try to read a bunch of books. I'm going to try to read a handful of books. And many of them are going to be books that I'm rereading. I want to gain a depth of understanding from these books that I've found to be valuable. So one that I'm rereading right now is a book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And it's a book by a guy named Donald Miller. And Donald wrote a New York Times bestseller in his 20s. And then some guys wanted to make a movie about it. So they came out and, uh, you know, they're, they're working through this process of writing a, a screenplay and these Hollywood guys, they're changing a bunch of things about his life. And, and it really frustrated him at first until he had to kind of like look into himself and understand that he was living a bad story. He wasn't really living a story that was worth showing on the screen. It wasn't compelling. He says that, you know, a, a character is someone who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. So it's like, it's this idea that we're kind of writing the movie script of our lives. We're in control of a lot of what goes on. And those things that we're not in control of, we're still in control of our reaction to those things. So it was a really formative book for me. I've read it twice already, and uh, I'm reading it again this year to make sure that I can kind of tighten that up in my own life, tighten up the story that I'm living. So let me flip that on you guys, because that is one of my favorite questions to ask folks is if you could recommend anything to read, a book, an article, blog, what would that be? Today I came across something and I feel like I have to share it because I, I came across it today and I knew we'd be talking to you. So I wrote it down. So I'm going to, I'm going to share a Bible verse that I think really applies to leadership. It applies to the fire service. Um, it applies to many areas of our lives. It's going to be 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27. And it says, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that preaching to others, I myself 
might be disqualified. And basically what that saying is, we are to practice what we preach. And I think there's so much power in that in life if we just be the message. If we could just be the message that we want to share, if we could just be the person that we want others to be led by, I think there's just so much power in that. And that's just something I came across today that I wanted to share. So turn it over to to Tom over here. Wait, what was the question again? <laughs> it, was, it was books, right? What books are you reading? Yeah, man. <laughs> okay. What are, you, what are you reading, Tom? What books? So I just finished reading the uh, mission, the men and me. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, so have read that. It, it is really good. A lot of people have read that book, but it's just so many lessons from it. You know, what I took from it is the type of leader he was, I've always fallen back on over the years, especially the last two to three years, is what's right is right, and I'm going to do what's right. And if there's consequences because of it, if I did what was right, then I'm completely fine with that. And I really feel like what he did in the book, you know, leading up to that major battle and and complications he had with, in, in his world, the upper level management, as we would call it, who don't have guys on the ground. You know, we, we deal with that all the time, but he stuck to what was right. He did the right thing. I really respect people that do that, and that's what I really try to do. So, I mean, that's the book I just finished. A lot of lessons there. Would recommend that to anybody. But, you know, one book that really changed my life, which a lot of people have read, and I read it a few years ago, was Extreme Ownership. But I can still remember reading Extreme Ownership. I was, I was in uh, Sonoma, California in wine country, on a vacation with my wife and I started to read it on the flight out there and I finished it while we were there for that weekend. Couldn't put it down. And I say it changed my life because you know it really it really teaches you if or makes you realize you are in complete control of everything in your world. And everything happens if you take ownership for it, you will learn from it, you will get better and you'll improve every day. I've recommended that to people that are outside the fire service and it's huge because it you can relate that to your personal life. Take ownership of your personal life, take ownership of your professional life, and your life's going to be pretty good. That's strong. All right, guys, it's 2019. We're at the beginning of the year. What are you looking forward to most? I mean, it can be resolutions. It can be goals. You know, it doesn't have to be that specific, but what are you looking at in 2019 that you want to accomplish or that you're really excited about? Man, I'm just looking forward to at the end of the day, becoming less selfish than I am as a person. And man, it sounds weird, right? But I was thinking the other day, they say we have close to 60,000 thoughts. And I was like, how many of those thoughts are actually about myself? Dude, there were a lot, to be honest with you. It was just like, it was eye-opening to be like, man, I need to start focusing on things greater than myself. And for me, that's a big shift, man, because I was brought up in a household that kind of taught you to get yours and be driven and goal oriented and you got to be number one and it's all about you. And that was kind of part of why I've had some success in the fire service. But as I move forward, I'm 43 years old. I'm a father of three. I'm a husband. I just want to be a more serving individual, put others first type of person. And I think that's going to happen with a stronger relationship with God, Uh, getting into the Bible more often. I typically would do it in the morning. I'd read the Bible in the morning. I'd read the Bible at night pray in the morning, pray at night. But now I'm looking for opportunities to pray during the day. And I'm going to share what I'm saying. I'm going to, I'm going to share what I'm praying for because I think it helps me to hold myself accountable to this. 
but I'll ask God, I'll say, God, please remove any anger, remove any doubt, uncertainty, fear, envy, bitterness, remove my ability to compare myself to others and replace it with the Holy Spirit in love, peace, patience, serving others. That's what I want. That's what I want for 2019. And man, sometimes we keep that stuff to ourselves, but you just asked that question and I felt like somebody needed to hear that outside of just me. So that, that that's my goal for 2019. You know, one thing that I'm passionate about is learning. And for me this year, I really just want to learn as much as I can. But I just want to get better as a person. I want to get better as a fireman. I want to do everything I can to just find out and meet people that can impact me and everybody I'm surrounded with in a positive way. I guess my goal is to just find more people that I can surround myself with that can that can take me to the next level because I don't want to be the strongest, fastest, smartest guy in a room ever, right? So I guess I'm I guess my goal is to to find that room in 2019 where it's going to challenge me and maybe find that room where I'm the dumbest, slowest, stupidest guy, you know, because then I'm going to get better. And that's what I want to do is I just want to put myself in situations where I can look back a year from now and I can be that much better. I can look back and say, wow, I've grown a lot. We're going to flip it around and ask you 2019 new season, right? I look at life as we have different seasons of life. Um, doesn't have to be January, 2019 for that to happen. Any one of us could create a new season instantly. Heard a quote once, it says, um, Andy Andrews, he basically says, a lot of people talk about it takes years to change. It doesn't take years to change. It takes an instant to change. It may take years to make a decision to change, but in an instant you could change. So 2019 season, new season for you, what, what are some of the goals you have? So I've looked out at 2019 as a year where I have to figure some things out. I've got six months left in the training division and then I'll be going back to, you know, riding in the back of fire trucks again. So 2019 is a year where I'm going to learn to pray. That's been my number one priority to, to really learn how to enter into like a quiet place. And, you know, I say that I believe in a creator God, so I'm going to learn how to speak with him. It's going to be a year where I reduce the quantity of inputs and increase the quality so that I can understand things more deeply. Uh, that very much involves firefighting rather than trying to read every single article that comes across social media. I'm going to read a few books and listen to a few podcasts multiple, multiple times, take notes, study my notes, practice certain skills over and over and over again and build a progression on those skills. Uh, and then I am going to take trips with my family. I've been very poor about taking my wife uh, on trips. We never had a honeymoon. We didn't go anywhere for our 10th wedding anniversary because I was in fire academy. We have been alone without our children for one weekend in the past eight years. So I'm going to fix that this year. I'm going to take her out for another another weekend or two on our own uh, to try to really make sure that I'm investing in what is the most important relationship in my life. I've spent more weekends with Brian Olson and Ben Rosenbaum than I have with my wife. 
and I probably need to uh, to flip that a little bit. So uh, yeah, I just want to I want to become a deeper a deeper student. I want to become a better husband. I want to be a better prayer. And uh, I think that's enough. I think that's enough for a year, probably. Okay, let's switch topics a little bit. Let's do it. Let's talk about the safety campaign going across the fire service. Clean cab concepts. <clears throat> that's the the major one right now that that's it's on fire across social media. But when we talk about safety, more times than not, we're using it as a punchline, and we're talking more about our safety when whose safety comes first, you know, and it's who we swore to serve. So what are your thoughts? You know, what, what is it where you're at in the country? What, what is the vibe on safety in your region? Well, there is a big, there is a big push in my region for the clean cab concept in the state of Washington. There's a program called healthy in healthy out. It's all about trying to get firefighters through their career uh, and enjoy a healthy retirement without getting sick and without getting hurt. And that's a noble cause and on its face is not a bad idea. Trying to reduce our exposure to carcinogens on its face is a good idea. I'm not trying to catch cancer. I don't know anyone who is. So my personal opinion on this is that I support any and all attempts to make firefighting safer and to reduce our exposure to carcinogens but I stop at when that has an operational cost. So I don't know, a diesel capture system in the station. That's a no brainer, right? Not everyone has them. And that's a problem. There's no operational cost to putting a diesel capture system in your station. And if you don't have them, you're being negligent and exposing people to carcinogens. There is an operational cost to moving an SCBA from the cab to the compartment. Now, the problem that I see is that operational costs are sometimes easier for organizations to incur than financial costs. It's easier to just move an SCBA into a compartment than it is to purchase new SCBAs that are easier to disassemble and clean properly. It's easier to do that than it is to invest in technology that truly cleans SCBAs. So that is, that's a frustration for me personally, and it is a battle that I have fought. And I understand where people are coming from. I understand that leaders don't want their people getting sick and dying, and I appreciate that where we have to have very, very serious conversations and be very measured in our actions is when those have operational costs because it's not so simple as to say, and, you know, it's just 10 seconds. It's not just 10 seconds. Everything has a cumulative effect. If it's just 10 seconds getting dressed and then it's just 10 seconds getting to the scene and then it's just 10 seconds getting our SCBA on and then it's just 10 seconds slower getting the line to the front door and it's just 10 seconds slower to force the door and we're just 10 seconds slower on our search. That all has a cumulative effect and it's a negative cumulative effect on our ability to deliver excellent service to the citizens. So all that's a very long-winded way of saying like I support safety. I'm not anti-safety. I think sometimes we get a little too caught up in saying in being in an anti-safety message, and I think it costs us in the eyes of our leaders. But we have to realize that we are here for a reason, 
and we are running the risk of safetying ourselves right out of relevance at some point if the public begins to understand that we are putting ourselves before them People are going to question our budgets. People are going to question our staffing. People are going to question our resource, you know, how many houses we have and are they being browned out. People are going to start questioning how much is being invested in a fire department that isn't invested in putting the public first. We have to be very careful to make sure that our mission stays primary when we make these types of decisions about trying to keep people safe. Wholeheartedly agree with you on that. When it comes to fire ground safety, how do we accomplish that? I've got my own thoughts on it, but I'm curious of what yours are. Is how do we ultimately provide for safer operations, if that's the word we're going to use? How do we be safer on the fire ground? There's nothing safer than being good. I mean, I could I could talk for 10 minutes and expand on that, but let me say this. Jason Bresler from Leadership Under Fire, a Marine Corps captain, and FDNY firefighter, he, def- he defines tactical discipline as understanding the consequences of your actions and inactions relative to your threat environment. So safety on the fire ground is not as simple as taking an inaction. It's not as simple as deciding not to do something because there is a consequence to that. We have to have tactical discipline, understand the consequences of our actions and inactions relative to our threat environment. And we have to be as well-trained as possible to execute our task in a way that leaves us survivable, but that we're still able to execute our mission. Yeah, it's safety through competence. I'm right there with you again that that the better we are at our job, and we say a a fit firefighter is a prepared firefighter, but when we talk about fitness, we're talking about all areas. You know, if you're competent in physical fitness, if you're competent in your mental fitness, which means you go into conferences, you're learning about the research, you're learning about, uh, you know, different ways to do things and you're competent with your mindset and your training. That's what's going to provide safety on the fire ground. That's what's going to allow us to take the risk and go inside and try to find that survivable space that we can occupy that victims might be in, remove them from that. But also while we're in there, if we're competent, we're going to notice that the conditions are changing or we're going to notice that it's just not possible and okay, time to get out, right? Instead of what I'm afraid of is we promote safety through inaction. And so when we get on scene, our plan A is we don't plan on doing much. We're just going to early close the deal and decide that nobody's inside and we're going to stay on the outside. But then when something happens that puts chaos into the scene where we have to go inside, then we have not prepared at all. And we're going to take a risk. We're going to make huge mistakes and it's going to cost lives, whether it's the victims or us or both. So it should be the competence campaign, not the safety campaign. Yeah, I can, I can totally agree with that. There's been disagreements in the fire service about what the, what the ultimate culture should be. Is it culture of safety? Is it culture of extinguishment? And you know what you're, what you're proposing a culture of competence. I'm not sure how a person could argue with that because competence is far reaching. It touches everything. It touches interpersonal relationships. It touches station maintenance. It touches apparatus checks and it touches what is most important, which is our ability to deliver service and doing so competently should be, you know, like primary for all of us. 
you guys have been doing good work for a long time now. What are you most proud of? Like what successes have you had with Fit to Fight Fire that, you, that is really what you're hanging, hanging your hat on? What are you guys most proud of so far? For me, when you mentioned that, I'm going to just say the first thing that pops into my head because I'm obviously proud of the influence and impact that we've made on people and the messages we get of, of firefighters who've lost weight and or they're taking the job more seriously. If we go to teach at a conference and people are in contact with us months later saying, I, I've changed the way that I've trained with my crew and we are just so much better than we used to be. But one thing that made it all worth it, it happened probably a year and a half ago and it was as a result of this podcast. We did a podcast with Rick George, who's a retired firefighter out of Florida. And Rick is big on, you know, tactical resiliency. But Rick's got a personal story in his life where he dealt with uh, alcohol and suicide. He had suicidal thoughts. He was in a dark place. And he told his story on our podcast. And about a week after we released it, I got a message through the page from someone that said, that was my day. The day I listened to the podcast was the day that I was going to take my own life. And he said, I listened to that podcast and you guys saved my life. I decided not to go through with it. And right there, all the volunteered time that we put into the podcast that we put into Fit to Fight Fire, it made it all worth it. And it made it all worth it for the next 10 to 20 years of time that we're going to volunteer too. So just being able to, to make an impact like that, that made everything worth it. That's been the most rewarding thing for me being part of Fit to Fight Fire. It's always good to know that a thought that you had that turned into words that you put down on a social media post or a podcast you had or something that you created made an impact on somebody else. Because at the end of the day, that's why we're here on earth. And however we find that avenue to make an impact on people, I think that's always a good thing. And it doesn't have to be something big. It could be something very small. So I think the proudest thing for me is knowing that on a daily basis, I have an opportunity to impact people in a positive way through this platform called social media, but more importantly, an opportunity to share where that ability comes from. And we talked about this earlier is my faith is a big part of my life. And I don't feel like it's an accident that I have this influence. I know where it's coming from. It's not coming from me. I'm not good enough. I guarantee it. Being able to identify where it's coming from and then give that victory to to God, to me, is the coolest thing I've ever been able to experience. I mean, it's powerful, man. And there are times where I'm like sitting around and I'm thinking, or I I just prayed on something, or I'm reading the Bible, or I'm going through a, a challenge myself. And all of a sudden, this idea or this Bible verse or this thing comes to me. And it's not like this supernatural experience. Trust me, it's just having a thought. And being able to put that out there and then just see it impact other people in a positive way, that's a pretty cool thing. Now, I'm going to flip this on you, man, because we've been able to have a, a back and forth conversation here. You're doing some good work, man. You've been able to bring some incredible guests on, people that have allowed us to become better from listening to their passion, their message. Uh, what are you most proud of when it comes to Refined by Fire? Man, that's a good question. I probably should have thought about answering that beforehand. <laughs> you got this. <laughs> yeah, look, when I launched this podcast, Refined by Fire, I wrote down what was going to define success for me. 
because it's easy to get lost. It's easy to forget what the goal is or have it being a moving target. So my goal was to learn to be a better thinker, learn to be a better listener, learn to have more deep conversations and to do it in a way that brings other people value. And I thought I might get a couple hundred people to download the show and listen. And it's been a lot more than that. And I'm just really grateful at how many amazing, intelligent, insightful, hardworking people have been on the show and have taken hours of their time to share with me a nobody from nowhere. So I'm just thankful that I'm able to bring a voice of a person like Ted Corporandi, who's been retired. And had I not had that opportunity, he wouldn't have had the ability to share his story and his voice with people all over North America. Someone like Dina Ali, who had similar experiences when I had her on the on the show, of people reaching out to her and saying that that show saved their life when she spoke about firefighter suicide on Refined by Fire. And Chris Brennan, who was just on, a guy who was kind of on the fringes of the fire service, but has so much to offer in terms of skill development and mindfulness. I'm just thankful that I'm able to, through Brothers in Battle, which I didn't create, which I have no claim to, I'm able to share this with thousands of people and just highlight some amazing folks and what they have to offer. to this month's episode of Refined by Fire. Hit us up on our Facebook page and let me know what you like. Let me know what you think we can do better and let me know who you'd like to hear from in the future. Also, please be sure to check out Elkhart Brass. They're supporting us, so please support them. Elkhart Brass is a division of Safefleet. Safefleet owns a bunch of different brands like Elkhart Brass, like FRC, Foam Pro, and ROM. A bunch of companies that can help you out if you're specking an apparatus. They might have some stuff that you're interested in. LED lighting, flow meters, roll-up doors, etc. So if you're in the market specking a new apparatus, I'll make sure you check out what Safely can do. 